The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 178 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them to me or post them in the Facebook group and they will get answered eventually. Alex, we are here, episode 178, Thursday afternoon. We are recording back-to-back episodes today, so we're going to try and keep the energy going through the second one. Uh, the first one, the episode you're listening to now, will be going out tonight, 17th of May. And the second one will be going out next Thursday, 24th of May. Just in case anybody notices any zapped energy in the second half. But maybe not. We maybe get a second wind and um, that'll take us through. So, Alex, how are you today? You feeling refreshed, raring to go? What's been happening? I'm good. Uh, I'm happy to be here. How are you doing, Barry? Yeah, yeah, happy happy to be here as well. Yeah, it's all good. So what's been happening in Alex land? Any poker? You've been playing any poker? And actually, I've not spoke to you off air about this either. I need to speak to you on air and see if you're going to be around Vegas when I go there. And um, I think I leave two weeks on Monday, the 4th of June is when I fly out. And I'm coming home around the 15th or 16th of June. I'll need, I'd need to check it. Um, I... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, on you go. Go. I usually go around the WSOP main event, so likely not, because it sounds like you're going there at the beginning of June. Sorry, Barry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, we'll, we'll just we'll just keep it like that anyway. Yeah, you feel... <laughs> we'll never meet each other, Barry. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah no, no, yeah, I'm delighted with that. I mean, that's... <laughs> Uh, once once a week on a Thursday is enough of an obligation. Anyway. You know, it's like, there's I can't fake connection problems in person with you. I'd be like, ah, yeah, okay, right. For fuck's sake, <laughs> you know. So, uh, no, no, uh, joking aside. Yeah, I'm looking forward to flying. I've been looking at the. I obviously booked it with no intention of main events. I just looked at the, the cheapest flight when the flights were good. And also, as I mentioned on the last episode, I got these amazing deals with uh, M-Life, the loyalty program of all the MGM properties. Like, ridiculous deals. I got four nights in Bellagio um, for literally sweeties. You know, like the room tax, and that's it. And it's a resort tower king room. The actual cost of the room was like $2,000 for four nights. And uh, all I've got to pay is... I think it's like a hundred and sixty dollars room t- forty dollars a night room tax or something, and that's it. You know, it's all done. 
Uh, and then I'm staying at the Mirage as well for four nights. I've always wanted to stay there. I've never stayed there before. I've stayed at Bellagio. And then I've got three nights at the Golden Nugget because you're not allowed to use the MGM comp rooms uh, consecutively. You know, you have to use four nights and then there must be like a 72-hour period where you don't stay for free and then you can stay for free again for four nights. So um, I was actually looking at doing it, like riding it right through, you know, four nights, pay for a room somewhere three nights, four nights free again and then pay three nights and then four nights, you know, for as long as they'd let me. But when you went onto the site and did it through your membership uh, details and stuff, there were terms and conditions that... It's obviously geared up for people that normally go to Vegas for like three, four nights max. You know, it's like in the States, uh, domestic people or international people that are maybe going to Vegas for three, four nights and then going on to somewhere else in the States or maybe like, I don't know, Cancun or something like that. They do a lot of packagey type things like that, so... But yeah, I'll take it um, as much as I can get. And plus, it was like free M Life points that give you like a hundred dollars for food comp voucher and a hundred and fifty dollars free play on any like machine or roulette. You can literally do a an even bet as well. And if it wins, keep your money and just leave it in that. So uh, they basically paid me to go to Vegas on those dates, Alex. So screw me and you. I mean that's. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I just couldn't say no to that deal. I remember booking it like January, February, and I was like, I've got to go. You know, the flight, and it, all in, it's cost me very, very low. I think like £650 uh, flights and hotels. Then I'll have the room taxes, so maybe like, I don't know, about £850, about $1,000 for a living nights, you know, return flights from Scotland. It's, it's brilliant. Excellent. Meanwhile, I'm going to be getting there by Spirit Air, if not a train, and then I'll be living in a $28 a night Chinatown Airbnb. So <laughs> maybe I didn't want to see a pair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say, um, you know, I'll be in the Bellagio. Just, oh, there's a Fitzgerald at the front desk for you. Oh, I don't know that. I don't know him. <laughs> Please keep him away from my suite. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, if you were there, you could have you could have came and uh, see how the other half live. You know, <laughs> you know. I might get Carlos up to the room just to go, and this is what you could have. You know, <laughs> like, and, uh, see, Carlos would just be indignant. He he wouldn't he he wouldn't even want to spend the money if it was comp. He'd be just selling the. Hotel room and pocketing the eight hundred bucks or whatever. <laughs> me, I would look longingly. You'd get your money's worth out of me. Yeah, but yeah, yeah the forty yeah. night, uh, the forty dollars a night. I mean, you, you struggle to get even a dump for that, you know, nowadays in Vegas. I remember when I first went about, uh, yeah, eight years ago. I was looking at prices, and actually, the second time, six years, twelve, uh, twenty twelve, you could still get rooms on the strip in like Harrah's, which is where I stayed for like $35 a night and that's just gone in six years that that is just completely gone they didn't charge a resort fee either now resort fees compulsory on all strip properties which is you know another depending on the property 20 to 30 dollars a night that they hit you for which used to be room rate and you used to be able to stay downtown in places like um, uh -huh. the four queens and the golden nugget and stuff for you know, and the the Golden Gate as well, for like nineteen dollars a night, and that's not like in the fifties and sixties. I was like five six years ago still, 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think they're still available in terms of, obviously, Vegas, June, July. It's a weird one because it's so hot. So mm-hmm. you can still get some cheap uh, rooms around that time. But I know when I went last time looking in October, everywhere was through the roof compared to Vegas. And I, I really noticed an increase in everything there, um, even in the space of five, six years. Food, everything, drink was mm-hmm. just... I really noticed, like, wow, that's expensive. Don't get me wrong, the pounds dropped against the dollar quite a bit as well. But even um, though I was like, really? Like, some places I was going when I was getting things before for, like, 8 $9, they were now, like, 16 17 it was It nearly doubled in some places for things, which is <laughs> crazy. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go and play. There's some tournaments in the wind that look really good, sort of $300 to $500 buy-in. And then there's like a 1K as well. I get there on the day of the, I think it's the Colossus, $500 one by WSOP, but there's no way I'll be playing that. I get in at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I think the second, or the, the, the last flights of it are about 4 p.m., 5 p.m. or something. There's no way I'm getting off a 10-hour flight and jumping into that, you know, so. Um, not an attitude you want. No, no, definitely not. Although the dailies, I heard on another podcast on Gambling with an Edge that Seth Polanski was on talking about the dailies, and you've won one of them, Alex. Uh, yeah. No, the nightly one, wasn't it? I think you won. Yeah, what are the things? Same thing. Yeah. yeah. And they get like 1,000 players, 800 players, some of them. So, um, you know, they're good. And they've, they've changed it. It was quite interesting. He was talking about they've changed the buy-ins now to like, you know, don't quote me, but instead of being a 235, it's a 250 now. And it's not higher rake, it goes into the price pool, but it's literally to save giving change on the large lines, you know, for for regging to it, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. For these events, they've rounded up all the, the buy-ins, you know, so it's like people aren't getting 10 and $5 or whatever for change just to speed it up a bit. So, yeah, I'm going to play some of them, play some of the win tournaments, and... I joked last time, if I get a decent-ish score somewhere along the line, um, I'm free enough that I could extend the trip. So you never know, Alex. I might still be there when you're when you're arriving, um, or I might just get out of Dodge with my profits. You know, it's easy to say that. <laughs> so, yeah. this, this could be the weary year you win the main, Barry. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. But um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not planning on it or making any. You know, I'm not spending the money yet. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And um, what have you been doing? Have you been playing any poker? Any other events coming up before the World Series, or is your live schedule look like coming into Vegas for the main? Or are you going to play any other events at other casinos or anything? That's a really good question. I played WSOPC Baltimore, which was really fun. I, I've gotten to the point where I just really love playing poker. I wish I could play more. If I, if I had a choice, I'd be out in Vegas. It's just so weird to hear me say these words because when I was younger, I was very ungrateful. I, I didn't realize how special of an opportunity I had playing cards at this level. If... I'm not really sure why that happened. It's not as if I came from a very wealthy upbringing, but I guess I assumed poker would just make me a happy person. And one of the reasons I'm really good at poker is I'm a 
kind of a miserable person a lot of the time. I'm really good at seeing what could go wrong. And that actually helps you quite a bit in poker because you go, don't do that, that'll happen, don't do that, that'll happen. Okay, could you do that now? I think he'll do this. Well, I can't really see anything wrong with this, so why don't I try that? Okay, that worked. The problem being that doesn't exactly make you a great person to date, a great person to live with, or even somebody who's very happy with themselves. But lately, I've just been a lot happier, and I really loved playing in Baltimore. I guess because now I realize there's no law that says you get to play poker. I appreciate it so much more, and my mastery of the game, I feel, is it it exceeds what it used to be. It's I, I feel very comfortable every time I play. I feel very good every time I play. But I'm just like you. I want to be out in Vegas. I want to go for a while. But uh, it's it's hard because I have a day job, Barry. I'm I'm a coach. That's what I do. Uh, that's what I get paid to do. And honestly, the money is much more significant than playing poker. But playing poker is much more fun. I'm right with you, though. I want to go out there and play. I think in Vegas I'll probably go out for a couple weeks. The tournaments I really liked the last time I, out, I was out there were the Planet Hollywood tournaments. So the people felt, maybe I just got lucky, but the people seemed to be a little happier. Uh, the play was a little looser, a little softer. Whereas in the Venetian, I, I had some guy just cussing me out one day. I had a dealer cussing me out one day. And it was very strange because I, I still like playing pretty much anywhere. And the Venetian's not a bad card room, but that put a bad taste in my mouth. And then I was out in Planet Hollywood and everybody was very uh, kind to me. It was a, it was a cool place to hang out. My girlfriend and I went to a really quirky comedy show there and we had a good time, but yeah, I'm just with you, Barry. I want to go out there and play. I, I, I'm trying to get to the point with my business where Trisha Cardner asked me, we were doing a performance coaching. She said, what does your dream life look like? And it sounds really strange, but I hadn't thought of that in a long time. But before I even realized what my answer was, it was coming out of my mouth, which was I would sit around and I would create content all day. That's what I'd do. I'd create things. I really like creating things. I really enjoy creating articles and creating uh, videos and teaching people through those videos and stuff like that because I always feel as if I misspeak. Uh, I don't love my command of the English language when it comes to the spoken word. But when you have time and you can get yourself hyped up before you record, you can have a script, it comes out in a fashion that I find very intriguing, very gratifying. It gives me a sense of satisfaction that I didn't have before in poker because poker is fun, but it's gambling. You, you sit around, you gamble and weird things happen when you gamble. And it's supposed to be a bit of a mind ass. It's not supposed to be conducive to balanced living, right? But that's what's so enjoyable about it. And if you don't think it's going to be a rush on your mind. You don't think it's going to be difficult in some sense or just 
a loopy roller coaster that gambling is, you have another thing coming. But creating poker content is just so fun. And I'm hoping I get to the point where the poker content gives me more time to actually play poker because I really do need a good living out of this, what with me taking care of my mother and whatnot. But, and that's, I think, a strain on my finances that many of the guys you see out there don't have, which is why I've never really felt it was fair to compare me to them because I have dependents uh, that I have to take care of, and that's my first priority. And I, I really think that's your mark as a man, how much the people in your life, the women in your life have to worry. And now that that's getting taken care of, by doing something I love, creating content, I just want to I wanna get out there more. And the last few months have been really... It's just things have been clicking for me so much. I, my health is really good. Uh, I, I got into the, my dream apartment in New York. New York is the greatest city in the world to me right now. Who knows how I'll feel in five years, but being a 30-year-old guy, the city's just a blast. Uh, my girlfriend and I are doing great, and I just love the stuff I'm creating, and I'm saving money. This is something you taught me. Uh, Actually, probably a hundred episodes ago, you were telling me, you know, just put that money away, put it away. You won't have to worry as much. And that peace of mind is worth a dollar total that you can't really calculate. And saving money, being in the point where, let's say I do a couple lessons and I'm really tired, I don't have to push through anything and just grind out a few other I don't know, appointments, being at the point where I can deliver my all to every lesson and rest and then create something really beneficial to poker players, is it, it's really nice. So I guess I haven't been focused on the playing as much because I've been trying to set up my life to a point where I could play a significant amount. And I, I also, I'm very lucky because... I'm very lucky because my day job is analyzing poker. And every day you'll talk to a guy from Buffalo, New York, who has a perspective on poker that you've never thought of in your life. And everybody has something to offer and that helps your game so much. And in the training, when I'm teaching these people, I'm watching them go through my simulations and my practice routines and it's not like I'm not thinking of my answers before the machine spits them out or before I have to explain them. I'm training as well. So I've been very happy with that. The other thing, Barry, that I've been thinking about a lot lately, I'm reading this book about the history of chess. There were chess coaches back in the 600 AD, back in the 600s AD in the Islamic world, and they were creating problems, chess problems that weren't answered for a thousand years and their books are still relevant today. And it got me thinking, I bet poker will be around in a couple thousand years. I really think it will be. And I've been thinking about it more lately, which is they're going to find this time in history very interesting uh, because this is the first 20 years where a significant population turned into professional poker players and they're probably going to dig in to what 
was relevant at this time. And now when I create content, I really try to think about it as, will this get made fun of in 50 years or is this structurally sound? Will this get made fun of in 150 years? And I think if you look more towards creating content of lasting value, it benefits your business, it obviously benefits your bottom line, and that spits you out to go play more poker. Uh, yeah, Barry, I'm, the more I talk about it, God, it, remember how much we hated poker when we started this? Well, I was going to say, I think I, I sort of meditated on it, and I, I don't mean literally meditated. I, I thought about this the other day, and I said, you know, I'm looking forward to going to Vegas and playing poker, etc., etc., but then I actually stepped back a bit and thought, wait a minute, when I, I think it's like a drug, Alex, like gambling, poker, whatever you want to call it, you know, playing poker, gambling, whatever, because even professionals, you know, are, you can be addicted, you know, even though it's your profession, you can be a workaholic, you know, and if your work's poker, then, and as you say, it's the, the addiction, and I think when people... The reason I think me and you are more into or wanting to play poker more or go and play poker or go and do things is because, paradoxically, we don't as much recently. Mm-hmm. And it's if we do, it's on our terms and we're in the mood. If you've got to turn up every day and it's your only income, right. that's a different ball game, you know? Yes, sir. And I remember going to Vegas 2012, so looking forward to it. And I was playing every day, you know, 10, 12 hours every day for, for weeks on end. Sometimes wouldn't leave the house for, you know, four or five days at a time. Eating shit. At, like, all my weight was put on through poker, getting into poker and trying to play that to live it and trying to get a score and playing this and that and just, you know, definitely um, neglected friends, put on far too much weight, ate too much crap. It's only the last few years when I started going back to, you know, buying and selling and dealing with the collectibles and stuff like that, that it's afforded me a bit more time and stuff to look at myself and start shifting a little bit of the weight, start moment by, you know, week by week, getting a little bit healthier, eating a bit better and walking. So it's kind of, you know, rose tinted glasses, like, oh, Vegas, this and that. But I wouldn't like to think what i be like now or what i would be thinking like if i'd just been playing poker all those years still and then was had a vegas trip coming up because that first time i went on my own was two weeks and i always talk about it by like day nine maybe or ten i was like just get me out of here this is like i can't and i'd been winning so god knows what i would have been like if i'd lost you know and I, I was up a good amount. I mean, probably like 30, 40%. Um, I'd increased my... But I had some huge, like, heaters for myself. Like, in some of the cash games, I was sitting down and winning, you know, 1,000, 1,200 in a few sessions. Ran really well. And final table, three out of six tourneys I played and stuff. You know, it was just crazy. I think just to sort of sum it up, it comes down to your own where you are at your own place in your own life in terms of mood etc and what you're doing poker if you're doing it for a living it does it becomes like any job so going to vegas is like a conference I mean, it might be a fun conference but it's like you know a big seminar or something and then you've got to actually put in 
hours and hours, um, and that's if you're successful. You know, in, in tournament poker, you'll be putting in hours and hours, or you could bust out completely of everything. And yeah, if you're not totally focused in terms of you know you're drinking, you're eating rubbish, and you're doing that for some of these guys that go out for the full thing, you know, however long it is, two months or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's a different beast, I think. So yeah, I think we've got to be you know, yourself, I mean, you played poker professionally live for years and years and online and travelled everywhere playing the circuit and doing that. So, you know the realities of it more than anyone. So, I think it's quite good that you're probably looking forward to your trips now and playing when you do get the chance to play. But I do, I think if you're honest with yourself, if you were doing this again, the first five, six months might be fun, but Talk to me in right. six months or a year of maybe no big scores or you've been running quite bad or staying in some places that aren't great. Then it comes back to like you're wanting to do something else to have what you've got now. You know, it's like you always want what you've not got. It's something in the human condition. And then when you get it, you want what you had. It's weird. It's Oh, you're absolutely right. I've turned down five or six deals. Uh, just to play more live and things of that nature. Uh, for one re- for one reason, the last uh, backing deal I had didn't go that great, and I was pretty ashamed of that. I like succeeding. I love what I do. I love thinking of myself as a card player, and I just horribly manage myself throughout my marriage. I manage my marriage horribly, myself as a player, my career. I'm very ashamed of that, but at the same time, I like my life now. I like waking up in my bed. I like going to my office. I like working out at my gym. I like playing when I feel like it. I enjoy working with my students. I don't want to go back to playing professionally and I I don't honestly think that's the right way to enjoy poker because if you think about it, let's say you're a professional basketball player. You you don't play basketball all day. You don't play four or five games in a row. You train most of the time, and then you have one game where you go out there and try to kill the other guy, but there's all the time in the weight room, there's all the time in the film room, there's all the discussion of tactics, there's the analytics, there's the drills, there's the passing drills, the shooting drills, the play drills, and on and on and on. And then that one game is very meaningful, and you're very prepared for that one game. But with poker, I don't feel as if many people... Uh, many of the cash game players, the high-stakes cash game players, understand this. That's why their sessions are two, three hours long, and then that's it for the day. And I think that's actually pretty intelligent, but many of the guys in tournaments, they're there just because they... If you want to hang out at a card room all day, that's fine. Just don't call yourself a pro. And don't tell me you're a pro until you've been doing this for a number of years, because... There is a huge survivorship bias in this game. If you look at any distribution of people playing tournaments on PokerDope.com, you will see 
a significant percentage of them will earn a great deal of money within a couple of years. It's only on the long run that you'll know anything. And most of these guys want to hang out at a card room, and they want to sit there all day playing cards, which is fine. That's just not how I wish to play. That's not how I wish to live my life. And I think you're right when you do look at poker as this is an opportunity. This is enjoyable. I think that you play much better and I think you enjoy it much more, which is why I tell my students, they say, should I drop out of school to play cards? I go, absolutely not. I think you'll play much better if you have your degree, if you have your life squared away. And then when you come to poker, it's from a place of joy. Or should I quit my job as a lawyer to become a poker player? No. Um, if you can scale back your hours to play a little bit more, that's great. Don't your quality of life is probably not going to change that much between whatever, $120,000 and 80, but maybe you'll enjoy life more if you have more time for your hobbies and one of those, including poker. And I think it's in the same degree in this, in I have the greatest job in the world because I still get to work in poker when I'm training. It, it feels like being a hitting coach. It, it feels like if I were in baseball and I were the hitting coach and I were uh, the way I, me I measure myself as a coach it, because I'm very competitive. I'm always sticking uh, to metrics is how many guys have come out from under me and then been a success. Now that's not something I can share with the public because many people don't want to feature prominently themselves as practitioners of assassinato's style so they would like to keep their training with me quiet but i've worked with three number one pocket fivers and i know the number of guys that have come out for me and i know i'm one of the best in the business and if they told you as a hitting coach you know i hey i know you're i know you're in your later 30s and maybe there's not a chance to get to the big leagues, but maybe there is. Why don't you come out and play minor league ball? Hell, I would just go do it to be in the sunshine, to swing the bat again, just to love it. And the fact that in a poker tournament, if you think about a poker tournament, if you think about a poker tournament, it really is a magical thing. Because if, you, if we went to a card room, you and I went to a card room, Barry, and the, we sat down at a one-two table, and uh, I doubled up. And they said, nope, you can't cash out your money right now. you got to go to the 2-4 table. When you go to the 2-4 table, you double up there. Wow, this is a great lucky night. Nope, can't leave. you got to go to the 3-6 table. Jeez, okay. Can you hear me out? All right, so you go to the 3-6 table, right? There you double up. This is the luckiest night of your life. Nope, you can't leave. Like, literally, we will not cash out your chips. 5-10 table. you got to go to the 5-10 table. You keep doing that up until you get to 200, 400, and you're playing for $20,000, dollars Now, if you were in a card room where those were the rules, how much would you anticipate, uh, how would you expect to walk out there, out of there with money most of the time? Would you expect to walk out of there with money most of the time, Barry? Well, that, that's like one of these sort of Nicholas... Taleb problems who we've been talking about in in a few previous shows um, like me individually if there was only one shot at it then sometimes I'm going to bust out at you know the early levels other times I'm going to make it up to whatever level 
and then other times um, I'll do really well, etc. But yeah, it's like it's like if you keep doubling your bets at roulette, almost eventually you're going to bust out. And exactly. You're going to also with poker. You're you should be as you're going up the levels encountering even more difficult games. It's not even a like a, an unbiased wheel where your odds are your odds. Your odds probably sharpen even more and more, and you know so. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a weird one. Exactly. Well, what I just described to you is a poker tournament. Uh, if you play a 215 major online, you start with a stack that's worth $200. You can call the blinds whatever you want, 50 cent, $1, $1, $2, whatever stakes you're at. But you start with $200, you double up, you're not allowed to leave that card room. And as the blinds go up, you're eventually playing 2-4. And then if you double up again, eventually you're playing 5-10. And it's not till you get to 50, 100, 100, 200 that you're allowed to cash out anything of significance because it's only at that final table that you're allowed to take out money. Now, this is very, tournaments are beautiful for someone like me who has limited time but would still like to play high stakes on occasion and play for some real money but doesn't really need the money. If you want to play poker tournaments for a living, I need you to remember this card room format. And it, that and every time somebody complains to me about the variance in tournaments, I'm just imagining this fictional card room and somebody getting to close to the final boss stage and then complaining that it didn't work out. It, it, I always want to say, you know this is the weirdest poker room in town. You, you know things are not going to break your way here most of the time. Why are you complaining? That's very confusing to me. Mm. Uh, that Now, that said, it's perfect for someone like me who, okay, the hitting coach that wants to go play a season of minor league ball and see if he can get from single A ball to the majors, I can, I can start at 200 NL and get to the major leagues of 200, 400 in a couple days in a poker tournament. And that's nice because then I can go back to teaching and make my money and improve as a poker player and help my students. But to make a living, trying to make a living in that card room seems, I don't think Taleb would think it's a great idea. What do you think, Barry? No, I mean, straight away from bankroll management and risk of ruin, etc. And like like we say, even if you sit and play a $100 tournament or whatever, then your bankroll's only got X amounts of shots at that tournament. And what you're mm-hmm. doing is you're forcing yourself to go into that imaginary card room and not leave until you've defeated every player, actually. In fact, <laughs> in fact the tournament's worse than a cash game because the player you've got to take every chip to win the tournament. So right. Right. <laughs> you've literally got to bust out every person in the card room until they go home. Uh, okay, yeah. there's no reloads, etc. But still, it's a freeze-out cash game where you have to take everyone out. And you're the last one standing. And we all wonder why we don't win, win, win more of them, Alex. <laughs> and doesn't that say something about human narcissism? Yeah. You're, you, when you go into the main event of the World Series Booker, you almost can't see the end to the number of tables. And you know deep down you have to beat every single person in that room and everybody in the other room. And not just today's people, yeah. but the people that are going to come in tomorrow. And the people that are going to come in the next day, and yet when we bust, we go, how dare they? Yeah. Do they not know how special I am? 
I'm the center of my own universe. Why am I not the center of these people's universe? Why am I not the center of this poker universe? But anyways, we have discussed things long enough. Let's answer some questions. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, I think just one more thing on that. I think visualizing uh-huh. things like that can help people when they're entering tournaments. And yeah, I mean, if you think of that, you've literally to get every chip that was ever in the tournament. If you're going to win it outright, you have got every chip that was in that tournament on your side in front of you. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's just play for those min caches and anything else is a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Barry. That's it. Okay. All right, let's get into the questions. Uh, the first question is from Barb. Hi, Alex. I have been listening to your podcast and purchased Master the Flop. I really love that you give advice for the low-limit NL player, NL games we actually play. I know that I don't need to be very well balanced, in inverted commas, in my live casino games, although sometimes it does help me to be more deceptive versus a good player. I play in Blackhawk, Colorado. We have 1-3 and 2-5, and I usually play 2-5 because we have a high rake. In Colorado, we have a max bet of $100, so it's really a spread limit game. I know that your focus is on tournament play. I really don't play much tournament as I am in the late 60s and prefer much, I much prefer cash games as I feel that I can make money every session and I can also leave at any time. Which of your products might be most beneficial for me? I know you have a new book coming out. Thank you for your advice and for what I have already learned from you, Barb. Hey, I really appreciate you writing in. I, I'm going to be frank with you. Most of my products will have some crossover effect because they deal with how the actual human actually sees poker, but none of them are made for cash games. I was a cash game regular. That's how I made my living from 1920-21. It has been a long time since I've played cash games for a living. Now, that being said... Much of what I discuss applies to most poker playing groups. Uh, there, there are certain things that most poker players do, and if you understand that, you can exploit them. To generalize this as much as possible, most people like to fold their high cards, call with their pairs, and raise with two pair or more. There's some shadowing between those ranges, but that's how the vast majority of people play. Now, I go into the particulars in pretty much every one of my products. Master the Flop looked at many particulars. Uh, Master the Flop really became my collection of videos that I wanted to make, but didn't get to fit into any overall product. Like Master Tournament Poker in one class, it's, it's designed to be three hours, then you're done. Like, okay, there you go. Go to the WSOP. You're ready. This will take advantage of most of the people you play at the WSOP, uh, whereas uh, Master the Flop is, well, maybe in that product it wasn't the greatest use of our time to discuss four flush boards, but I would like to discuss how those ranges work where people raise two pairs call with pairs and fold high cards if you use the combinatorics on that board and on wheel boards and on just general suited boards and one high card and two low cards and a flush draw and small card boards and 
what, what should you check? How often should you check? Why should you check back? And that Master Tournament Poker in one class, I think actually will help you in your spread limit game, especially the small bet section on rivers will be extremely applicable to what games you're in. You'll find that's actually not much of a disadvantage on the river as long as you play a very value-intensive strategy, which if you watch that video, you will find is most likely what you should be doing. But as far as strict cash game material, I, I don't have any because in Live Poker 101, I discussed some cash games I played. I discussed my cash game strategies and uh, my new book. The, at one point, I discussed cash games, the types of cash games that are very passive with lots of limpers. I, I discussed that quite extensively. But most of the work I do is in exploiting players. It's this person does this, I'm going to do that. Because most people play like that. Most goalies in this World Cup are not balancing their diving range. They're just, they really like diving right, so they're going to dive right. So that's most of what we discuss. Good luck to you out there. Okay. okay. And the uh, next question is from Ken. When will online poker be legal in the United States? Now, don't just shrug your shoulders and say never going to happen. Four states have made it legal. Why aren't the top? Why aren't the pro poker players together on making online poker legal? I would like to hear every poker player on TV or in a podcast say it is ridiculous that American citizens cannot play poker on a regulated site from their home computer. I would also like to see every poker player, pro or not send an email to their representatives asking them to make it legal. I need a tip of the spear to take this up and move this. I'm just a guy in Florida that wants to play some tournaments at home. I don't have the resources or contacts to get the ball rolling. Alex, I have talked to Jonathan Little. He answered my email and we talked about it. Hope he keeps it going. I have asked on my Facebook groups, Poker Mind Coach Elliot Rowe and Poker Mindset Lab Dr. Trisha Gardner, I am going to ask you too, will you please start talking about this within your circles and publicly to get some action moving so that online poker is made legal? Thanks for your time, Ken. Ken, uh, I'm a libertarian. There's nobody who agrees with you more than I do. I also have lived in the United States most of my life. I have very little faith telling my representative is going to do anything. Even if I were to get an audience with them, they would sit there, put on their winning smile, and tell me I'm really interested in this, I'd like to do something for this. And then I don't think they'd really do anything. Because, we okay, Barry brought up uh, Nassim Taleb earlier. What he points out is they, they have zero skin in the game. There's nothing that is going to happen to them as long as they just say, I'm trying to do this, but the other side won't help me. That's all they ever talk about in this country is, I'm trying to do this, but the other side won't let me. And if you think about it, it's a mutually beneficial stalemate. 
Because as long as they stay in stalemate, they can just keep heaping on campaign contributions and gradually say, oh, we'll get what you want eventually. So I'm sorry, I'm very pessimistic about this because you take another libertarian initiative. Uh, I don't smoke pot. Not uh, really messes with me. Uh, messes with uh, the medication I take. So just alcohol pot, like it's not never entering my system again. I believe a a human in the United States of America should be allowed uh, to do what they want as as far as their body. And it's been what? How, how long have they been calling for pot legalization in the United States? Since 1975? And so what is, how many years is that? 85, 95, 2000, that's 40 something years. 43 years, right? Or whatever it is. And it's still only legal in a handful of states. So I'm very pessimistic about this. I don't, I think politicians are some of the lowest forms of life on planet Earth. So the idea of talking to them, to ask them to do anything, I don't find a, an efficient use of my time. That being said, you're absolutely right that we should talk about this more. We should say, when is, you know, how the hell is this America? How, the thing, we talked about one of the first times we talked about one of the first things we ever talked about, Barry, was you're allowed to own a flamethrower in 40-something states or whatever it is. Even if it's 37, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, you can't play online poker. And the excuses they give are such a load of garbage. And it was one of the first things you and I talked about. You have state lotteries. State lotteries, fine. You want to spend $10,000 on lottery tickets, that's a-okay, because, you know, the children. The children. And, uh, but if I want to play cards with Ken here, as consenting adults, we can't do it over the Internet. I think that's a joke. And everybody does this, oh, we should argue it's going to be more tax money. You know what? No, I don't think these people deserve any more tax money. These people are idiots. They do this thing. Oh, if I just get a little bit more money, we'll fix everything. If I just get a little bit more money, I'll fix everything. Could you imagine a general manager in Major League Baseball having this attitude? Hey, I know we went uh, 12 in 150 last season, but hey, just give me a little bit more money. I'll draft better players. No, your job is the general manager. The reason you're in the job is you're supposed to do well with the money you were given. And you're not doing that. So, yeah, you want to tax me, that's fine. And by the way, it should be said, if you're an average person in the United States, tax rates are fairly low. And I really do appreciate that. But I'm not even saying, oh, you know, legalize it and tax it. I'm just saying you have no right over me as a human being to say I cannot gamble with Ken here. That is my right. If we are two consenting adults, that is my right. And yes, I, as you can tell, this is a sore spot with me because I think it's an absolute joke. Uh, I love playing cards online, and there's quite a few. The, the best time of my career was before 
Black Friday, if you want to look up the Assassinato on Sharkscope on Full Tilt, you'll see why I'm so pissed off right now, how my career was going before all this happened. But at the same time, I, I, I don't wish to speak to a politician, period. They don't deserve one minute of my time. These people are grandstanders. Very few of these people believe in anything. They're there to get line their pockets. It's it, <laughs> uh, you can. Uh, it's just the the thing that bugs me, Barry, is they're in a cage match that is mutually beneficial for nobody to win. Fox News loves CNN. CNN loves Fox News. Republicans love Democrats. Democrats love Republicans. And they just play the people of this country against each other. And they really think, and they really have us thinking that we can offset things. And it, it's, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the women who's uh, really big on the Democratic side, what, what was her name? Uh, Hal. There, there's there's politicians on both sides. I'm not. I think it's Maxine Waters. I think Maxine Waters has been in office for 30 years. She's gotten two bills through, or something like that, right? These people don't do anything. They, they, and it's on the other side too, right? They just don't do anything. They sit around, and as long as it's broken, they're going to keep taking money from you, and that's great. I don't think the, any of these people should have power. They shouldn't be able. They shouldn't have power to take your money. They shouldn't have power to tell me I can't gamble with Barry across the pond or with Ken in Florida. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm indignant right now. All right, Barry, let's go to another question before I get pissed off and throw this uh, coffee cup through the window. Okay, uh, last question for this episode is from G, who is a regular writer, and he's going to feature yeah. the next episode as well. And you know what, I like that. It's someone, I always said it, there was a few guys that always used to do that. It's taking advantage of a free service that Alex is putting out. And I know that we were talking about it, if I was playing for a living and taking this seriously, and I'd be writing in all the time, um, bombarding us with questions to get uh-huh. asked. Um, so well done, G, for taking the initiative. And this one is, hello, Alex, may I ask you this? Against villains that have a high turn C bet, I should stone or semi-bluff, check or check-raise more often, but when should I do that usually? On flop or on turn, say we have effectively 50 big blinds. I'm sorry, against uh, a high turn C-bet, what should they do more? Yeah. Well, if you have... uh, Okay, so I'm going to just hypothesize he means a high turn C-bet being... 70% 70% or higher, in which you have a person who every time they see bet double barrels, the first thing you need to look at is what is that see bet? Because if that person's flop see bet, excuse me, what is that flop see bet? If that person's flop see bet is 35%, 30%, then their turn double barrel is 100%, that means they only fire the flop with a hand and then they're going all the way. Versus that person, you have to decide on the flop versus that C-bet, what you're doing. Are you calling down? Because the worst strategy you could come up with versus this player is calling flop folding turn. That maximizes your losses while ensuring you will never realize your wins. So 
that is one part. But let's say, I think what he's referring to is you have a guy who's C-bets like 85% of the time on the flop, which is almost always somebody who checks back some one pair of combinations, and that's about it. And on the turn, has a very high C-bet as well. Let's say 75 80%. Well, one of the things I like to do versus this person is with my flush draws, I call on the flop and then I jam on the turn with, say, 50 big blinds. Or I raise enough that they'd have to three-bet all in with their second pair to test me. The reason I do this is because I want to get a little bit more money from their air combinations. This also makes it so when I call on the flop and raise on the turn, I don't just do that with sets. There's a lot of times I'll be playing against a guy. The board will be eight of hearts, five of hearts, three of clubs. I'll C-bet, he'll call. The turn is the 10 of spades. I bet he raises all in. And it's an easy fold with queens because he would have raised his draws on the flop and he's not turning a draw into a bluff on the turn. So it's almost always a set. Whereas if you're one of these people who can jam a flush draw on the turn, they don't have that on you. Now, that doesn't come up that often. I usually don't talk about these reversals that often because if I were teaching you at the beginning of a class at an MMA gym, I wouldn't be telling you the really sick reversal that you can do at the UFC level. I would be talking about, okay, let's work on your jab, you know, let's work on your takedown, something like that. However, this is something I do versus the hyper-aggressive opponents that do, you will find even at 200 NL or higher, or even in a couple $50 tournaments or higher online, it, it, what have you. Now, that being said, what you also have to do is if you have a pair, you don't want to raise for value on the turn. Perhaps you think you'll jam and you'll get called weaker. But I think most of the time you have to look forward to that river and see if you see anything. And generally, I'm still making the plan to, if I call a turn, I have to call river. Because usually the guys that bet flop, bet turn all the time, do, they do triple barrel a little bit more than the average population. So if the board comes, let's say king 10-7, and I have 10-9, and the person C bets into me, they, I, if the person goes bet, bet all the time, you have to seriously consider folding right there, right? Now, there is the Daniel Negreanu play, which is, this is something he used to talk about on, the, on WPT back in 2004 or whatever it was, which is, he would call it raising to find out where you're at, which I, I don't think is what he means. I think what he means there is, let's say somebody C-bets into you there and you're in position, if you raise there, he's probably still calling you with 8-9, ace-7, 7-8, 7-6, queen-jack, maybe even ace-jack. But now you don't have to sit there. You've gotten value with your raise, and you don't have to sit there wondering what's going to happen next. He checks you on the turn. You can bet and buy the showdown. Uh, however, you can bet there most of the time he's only going to check raise with a really good hand. And with the rest of his range, he's just going to call and check to you on the river and then you can feign like you weren't trying to buy the showdown by sitting there for a few seconds and checking, right? Now, if, and by the way, if you check and he has King Jack, don't tell you, them you had 10-9, nothing. Like, just go, yeah, I was raising with a draw. You don't want people knowing you can do that play. Now, if you're out of position, you have to give some serious consideration to folding because this is somebody who goes bet, bet, bet. 
What you don't want to do is split the difference, which is everybody, what everybody on planet Earth does, which is call the flop and say, okay, I'll reevaluate on the turn, uh, which again is akin to somebody playing chess competitively and going, why'd you move that pawn there? I don't know. I'll tell you next turn. That's, that's not a very winning strategy. Uh, you can turn your hand into a bluff. Uh, I think that's a very underrated play. Uh, we have fetishized in this poker culture of the 2010s, do not turn your hand into a bluff. You are the worst player on earth who has ever, uh, who has ever lived if you turn your hand into a bluff. Well, if a check raise there was profitable, if a check raise there was profitable on its own, blocking some set combinations is likely not making it unprofitable. Now, the only thing you risk is some poker snob telling you you turned your hand into a bluff because, you know, it would have been a much better idea uh, to sit there, hit the call button, and stick your thumb up your ass and see what happens on the turn and river. But at the same time, I'm not in love with that play. There's actually sometimes having the blockers hurts you, but it, depending on how many straight draw combinations or high card combinations you want the guy to have, right? Uh, but I think this is a pretty comprehensive guide as to some ideas that can help you in this particular situation. Good luck to you, G. Okay. Okay. Um, um, well done, Alex. Well done, Alex. <laughs> um, that's all we have time for this week. Um, Alex just... I don't know why it happens sometimes throughout the episode and then other times it doesn't, but I can't speak because my mic muted today on today's show and I couldn't get it off mute and Alex was still talking and I was frantically typing in chat. I can't say anything. So uh, we both had problems. Anyway, we got it recorded and it will be out tonight. Alex, how can people get in touch with you for further information on your products and anything else that you're doing down the pipeline? Hey guys, the spring sale is over, but if you want to sign up for my newsletter where I'm aiming to almost every single day send out some free training content, go to PokerHeadRush.com, which is my butt ugly blog. Go to the top right and sign up for the newsletter, and the newsletter is much prettier. You can check out that blog too if you want to see some fun stuff that I write, uh, just general day-to-day blogs and things like that. Uh, follow me on YouTube at Assassinato Coaching. Follow me on Twitter at the Assassinato. And if you have any questions about anything, write me at Alex at PokerAdRush.com. Okay. And I actually felt Alex mute there as soon as he finished speaking. That was very smoothly done. Uh, okay. Thank thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening. Keep your questions coming in. Questions at OneOuter.com on email and we will get them read out. Alternatively, do tweet them to me at oneouter.com. That's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M, or post them in the Facebook group, and we will get them answered. Alex, thanks very much for joining us. Until the next five minutes when we record next week's show, see you then. Cheers. Have a good one. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001 on the table every week. 
Yes, one million and one dollar guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The one million and one dollar guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just two hundred sixty-five dollars a pop. For all the info, check out America'sCardRoom.eu.